How's it going, everyone? Um, I am so grateful and excited for you all this week. We got a splintacular episode coming. That's right. I said splinted and spectacular in one word. We have a guest that I'm not only privileged but honored to have on the show. Kristen Wallace is one of the funniest human beings that ever met on this planet. She's quickly going to become a star. She's also from D.C. Shout out to her home. My heart is, uh, you know, they say home is where the heart is. D.C. always will be my home. And artists that come out of D.C. will always have a special place in my heart. But talent is not always so prevalent. But with people like Kristen Wallace, she has more talent in her pinky than I have in my entire being. This woman is going to kill it. She's already been killing it. She's been a comedian from D.C. to New Orleans. Now she's in L.A. with me. And I'm so honored to have her on the show and to be able to... Uh, share space with her. Um, just a brief background, me and Kristen, we went to the same high school, but not at the same time. So we had like similar friends, but we didn't actually really know each other. And then, but we always, you know, knew of each other. And like, I always, whatever interaction I had with her, just a hysterical person from childhood. You know what I mean? I think I was a junior. So genuinely hilarious human being, right? And, um, you know, I moved out here to pursue comedy and, and the entertaining arts and lo and behold Kristen Wallace comes through and I don't know what it was from fate or whatever but she was like hey like I'm about to be doing this shit called UCB uh, upright citizen up <laughs> I should never have started a talk show I can't talk she was like I'm doing this shit it's called United Citizens Brigade you should fuck around and god it's not even called that it's called upright citizens brigade I can't speak dude she calls me. She's like, I'm doing this shit called Upright Citizens Brigade. You know what I mean? I don't even remember how this story went. But regardless, we end up in this sketch writing class together. And she's just killing it. Every sketch she writes is hysterical. Every joke she spits off the top of her head is funny. I go see her do stand-up. This is a one-of-a-kind comedian right here, ladies and gentlemen. So if you can't hear the excitement in my voice, know that it's there. Uh, I want to... I wanna, make better and better intros for people and explain how I know them, but also why I'm excited for you all to hear them. So if you guys are fans of the art of comedy, if you guys enjoy laughing, this is someone that you should keep your eye on. You can find her Instagram info, etc. in the description of the show. And as always, if you like the show, please like, comment, and subscribe so that I can fucking make something to this shit. God damn it. <laughs> I need money. <laughs> but no, real shit though. Like, if you like it, comment, subscribe. If you're not fucking with it, you know, keep it to yourself. I don't, I don't need that negativity. But welcome back to the show. Kristen Wallace, thank you for coming. So let's start from the beginning with you, from the early days of Kristen Wallace. From the early days. Yeah. So what kind of got you into comedy and, and, and drove you to that, that path? Um, I think that 
uh, my entire life I've felt sorry for myself a lot. So (laughs) the only way I can cope with anything bad that's ever happened to me is to make a joke about it. Like, if I'm not joking about it, then I'm not in a good place. Yeah. No, I feel that. I love that. So how did that develop into, like, a career path? Um... I think that I realized that I'm better than most people I know about converting any negative energy that I'm harboring into something creative. I think that's what separates a lot of artists in any capacity away from one another. Nice. Just like... I feel that. Yeah, how do you... Are you forcing all of this out or are you taking from the life lessons that you were given Mm -hmm. and turning that into something to laugh at? (laughs) (laughs) So do you think a lot of your materials comes from a place of negativity? Fully, yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like only. And that's that's what helps me be less negative, Mm -hmm. laughing Mm -hmm. at certain things mm-hmm. that make me feel weird about myself. Oh yeah. Um, you know, or you embrace those things and you accept the way that you are and move on. No, I completely feel that. It's so funny cuz when I was a kid, I my biggest fear was people laughing at me and then I wanted to become a comedian, which is like people laughing with me, I guess. Yeah, but it's kind of yeah. like they la- I don't know. It's it, I feel that though. It's like taking taking the negative or like you said the life lessons and making it humorous yeah or like digestible but was there ever a time where you were like pursue or wanted to pursue more of like a career like a societally um when I was little I wanted to be I think the first thing I ever said I wanted to be was a mad scientist and then I wanted to be a veterinarian I wanted to be or no I wanted to be a trash man because I wanted to ride on the back of the trucks yeah, then I wanted to be a vet. Then I wanted to be an artist. That was like in my like elementary school and anim- like heavy anime phase. Okay. And then um, I like went to a theater camp and I just like loved doing like improv and stuff. I love that. Then I go to other theater camps that just like weren't jamming that hard. Because mm. one was just like an imagination camp. And then the one that I went to the following year was just, like, a very structured, like, theater camp. Imagination camp? Elaborate. Tell me what that's like. Um, it was called Living Stage Theater. Nice. And they had, like, these giant scaffoldings. Okay. Um, that, like, rotated and stuff and you could attach them together. And then they would play, like, music and be like, all right, everyone, we're in space and um okay go like Mm -hmm. so like some kids would be like aliens some kids would be astronauts like that's awesome i remember this like one little girl was just like always like like always needed to be rescued and i wonder what she's like now yeah (laughs) like that that she would automatically assume that that character her imagination was the damsel in distress yeah and that's as far as she could go and i'm like come on we're seven like let's go (laughs) she assumed the role of of old school use your imagination we're fucking seven yeah (laughs) it's in its prime That's hilarious. No, I cannot remember what I was. I just remember 
observing yeah. everyone else. No, it's, it's cool that you remember that. I, I can't even think of what I remember from seven. I don't even know if I was. It had to be around seven. But then I went to other camps where I just didn't have that good experience. Um, and I was like, <laughs> just more racism. Oh, yeah. I feel like Living Stage Theater was just like really hippie. It was like, I think it was off of H Street. Mm-hmm. This is in the 90s. Yeah. So just like re- like real DC, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um and right because yeah. you're from dc originally yeah okay bad um places like that don't exist anymore so i started doing comedy in um not even college i dropped out of college and probably did it a couple of years after this and where were my, you in school again um i went to loyola okay, university of new orleans bad. um said so it's easy <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get him on here one day and then <laughs> And then I went to UNO, and then I was just like, fuck school. Yeah. Um, but I was saying, I forgot. What, what were you in school for? Oh, um, I did music industry studies because okay. I was told that I couldn't do theater. Hmm. And then wow. I switched to PR, and then finally my mom was like, I'm sorry, I didn't let you do theater. You can do theater. Mm, so it was was, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, so I did theater, but then I just had like way too many loans, way too many like credits I wouldn't transfer to yeah. certain things because I changed my major three times because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and I wish that I never went to school, but um, I would probably say like you know most black parents or immigrant parents Mm -hmm. or any parents of color just really want their kids to go to school because it was that much harder for them yeah but that's not everyone's path no so true did your mom immigrate here or was she no just um her mother my grandmother was from um south carolina born in the 30s Mm. so she didn't have um uh, a great upbringing so right. she moved to dc when she was 18 and it's just been like you know just a very opportunity driven family values oh yeah where i'm just like yeah, well yes i'm an opportunity chaser as well but mm-hmm. not in the educational field not in the medical field mm-hmm. Um, you gotta pursue it in the way you you were meant to yeah i get that but like i feel like a doctorate in something is something that i would pursue later in life nice. anyway yeah, like, yeah, yeah i don't know add the doctor to your title yeah just be like oh just um you know go to school for like podiatry or something and mm-hmm. just like fix people's feet for like the second half of my life or go back to go be a vet veterinarian go be a vet yeah and fix animals feet for the second <laughs> half of my life sure that would be hysterical you if know. that was I feel like you know, once you've used your youth up, mm-hmm. you should um, think of something that you can do in smaller spaces that will still have as big as impact um, that you can do in larger spaces when you're younger. Yeah. So if you can just like, you know, fix little animal bones in a room, <laughs> in one room and not have to go very far and, you know... You know, you're changing a family's day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be super cool. That's what I love about comedy, too, is, like, someone could be having the worst day. I mean, that's not the ideal audience is someone who had a trash day, but, like, you you know what I mean, though? Like, your your jokes have the ability to, like, 
they they say that the age old adage like laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, it's not necessarily true, obviously. <laughs> like medicine, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it can help. Uh, but um, I want to like attitude change is the best. <laughs> yeah, no real shit though. It's true. But um, on the topic of what you were saying, like growing up and and the and the camps, like you were you were dealing with things like racism. How do you think that? you know, um, societal structures like that, like dealing with racism and sexism, like have informed your comedy? Because obviously those are not funny subjects. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, I would say I only mostly get political making fun of white people, but I would say just very gently and from a place of <laughs> knowing white culture well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just so weird to say. Yeah. No, I, it, no. <laughs> if they offer Caucasian studies in college, I would have definitely finished. So ridiculous. That's just like a history major, essentially. <laughs> Caucasian studies. No, but just like, I'm, you know, just like out in the wild, different kinds of yeah. Caucasians. That'd be an amazing National Geographic show, <laughs> following Caucasians. Um, you know, just like really zeroing in on, you know, the Taylor Swift of it all. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, but um, I, I make fun of myself a lot, too, because I went to a predominantly white private school in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. from 6th to 12th grade. So um, that is not a third of my, That's like a quarter of my life at this point. Informative years, too. Yeah, very informative years. Yeah. Um, and also in quarantine, I've done a lot of reflection on my time there and wondering if certain teachers had treated me like they treated some white students, if Mm. I would be in a place, um, you know, a happier place with my career status at Mm. the moment. Like just because some people were really pumped up, um, in a way that I was, I was pretty like, I was the lead in like the musicals in sophomore through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I was more celebrated by um, parents after the shows than yeah. I was the people that, you know, helped put it on. Damn. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the audience, but just, like, I also thrive also off of praise from um, my superiors. Right, yeah. No, I feel that. My And elders. you deserve it. You're, like, the lead, too. Like, you'd think they'd give you yeah. the respect the lead is due. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, things like that, I, I really, like, I find it interesting how people can turn, like you were saying, and, and to go back to it, just turning negatives into positives. Like, the fact that you were kind of, like, not given your credit by the, like, you know, the support around you, like, the directors of a high school production. Yeah. But then now you're pursuing it professionally. Like, I kind of love that. All of it. Yeah. I have to. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just kind of like a thing, like... You know, I fully intend on quote unquote making it one day. Yeah, for um, sure. I see and it. Uh, keep my name out your mouth when I do. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. You weren't Fuck part of bitches. this. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't you teach know. me shit. <laughs> Don't say you knew me. Don't say you knew me. Don't that. say it. That is amazing. Well, you so you spoke briefly about kind of like what 
you like just kind of coronavirus and what you've been doing during that time. How have you been managing with kind of the industry being in lockdown and not being able to go out and like hit clubs and open mics? Um, I've been really fine with it just because I feel like I'm always frustrated with the um, politics and the structure of comedy. Can you speak more on that? How so? Um, just with, you know, you kind of have to, it's, it's really a huge give and take thing. Mm -hmm. So when you move to a new city, you're not really in a position to, um, just start making shows without any kind of friends Mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just kind of have to, you know, get out there and build your network immediately. Um, but building your network relies on meeting nice people that want to see you succeed. Um, but comedy is so competitive. And I think that one of my biggest turnoffs of comedy is everybody else's insecurity. Mm. We all grew up differently if your comedy is similar to someone else's so much so you're threatened by them um <laughs> just like one of you is lying like um i don't know i did like i did retire one of my jokes because I found out that Amanda Seals, who is actually a famous black female comedian, had a really similar joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have to put that to rest and just make more because, yes, I made the joke, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes you just have to, like, <laughs> bow your less famous joke out. Yeah, no, you, you said that to me last time I saw yeah. you. Yeah. I, I, it's so funny because I never thought about that. Like, But, I, I, you know, there are going to be times, obviously, where we're, we're, I mean, we agree on a lot. But I, for some reason, I'm like, oh, you made that joke. Like, why? Because someone else had it that you have to then turn it down. Like, Yeah, I don't know. And I have video of me doing the joke, yeah. like, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. I mean, not six years ago. I've only been doing comedy for five years. <laughs> Time isn't real out. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> take that out. And yeah, take that out. <laughs> well, well, I made the joke like four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I don't know. A lot of my earlier jokes were about um, my fear of being enslaved again when Trump won. I think honestly that kind of like propelled everything. Yeah. Because. Um, the first time I ever did stand-up was, um, September 21st, 2015. Okay, nice that you remember the date. <laughs> Only because of the song, September. Oh, okay. I was just like, oh shit, do you remember the 21st night of September? I do. I did stand-up for the first time. <laughs> <Nice>. uh, <laughs> Damn, that's sick. But, um, what was I gonna say? Oh. Oh yeah, so, when I started in September... 2015 I then would do it so sporadically just because it was it made me so nervous mm-hmm. yeah seriously um, but I always do a good job so I don't know why I was being so nervous mm-hmm. um, but I was super nervous so I would do it like 
every three months and a tournament every two months, then like one month and twice a month. Mm -hmm. And then like grow gradually from there. But after Trump won, I feel like there was just so much pent up anger and energy with, within every community that has <laughs> since. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well put. Just... <laughs> I, I don't know. That, I mean, it, he's a great source of comedy, whether you are imitating him or if um, you're using anger given to you by him. Mm -hmm. Just use it. Yeah. No, that's a good point for all, for all working comedians out there. Anger is definitely a good source of inspiration. I find a lot of my humor comes out of, like, frustration and anger at the system. Yeah, well, even with the, um, Will and I just completed a writing project, Ooh. um, and submitted our very first original pilot. We did. That was, was that your first time writing one, too? That was, yeah, my first, we wrote, so we had to write, just from, uh, some context for everyone, we had to write an original pilot and a spec script, which is, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's an episode of a show that's already out right that kind of just shows your ability to write for that show right i think yeah um well let's speak to that a little bit what is how is the experience of writing comedy for like an episodic or you know tv and film versus writing comedy as kristen wallace the performer is there a difference um i felt like writing the pilot um just because i based it off of I base the main character off of myself and personal life experiences. Um, I find it, I found it more freeing to write the pilot mm -hmm. um, than to do stand-up just because with stand-up um, you have to be careful who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But if you're writing a show, you can just be like, oh, that's a character. Mm -hmm. I that. You know, and if somebody that pissed you off is like, is that based off of me? Like, well, first of all, you know, they're never going to read it. And if they, if the show happens to get picked up and see it, what, mm -hmm. you're going to be mad that a character based off of you is on TV? Yeah. Like, nobody knows it's you. Mm -hmm. And, you know. If you don't know that information and you see the show, maybe it'll give you some perspective on um, how you should be if you see some something that is negative that reminds you of yourself. Damn. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, I was a pretty shitty person until I saw the first season of Girls. Okay. Lena Dunham show. Mm -hmm. Because the main character, Hannah, was just like so terrible and unaware. And I realized how terrible and unaware mm. I was. That's real shit. But... I don't think that Lena Dunham was aware how terrible and unaware her character was, huh. or just kind of grew more into. Like she it. wrote it. She wrote it unintentionally, creating this unaware character. You think? I don't know. I just feel like she was anti-hero, but then just everything that you celebrated out of her anti-hero-ness then became championed. Mm. But she embraced it kind of like in a not-so-funny way. Okay. I don't know. In one of the last episodes, um, well, she spends an entire season pregnant, which nobody asked for. And um, the baby is half um, brown. Um, 
I can't remember the ethnicity of the actor that played the, the kid's father, but it was a one-night stand. But in the final episode, we just see Lena Dunham, like, breastfeeding a brown baby. And it's just so disturbing. It's so disturbing. So, so okay, so in terms of, like, a writer writing a character that you... Let me repose the question. Um, for some reference, I'll find the, way, the place to edit it back. Yeah, yeah. We had a reset. We had a car alarm go off. <laughs> we, we got too comfortable with the windows open. But so I was asking you, as far as an author or a writer like Lena Dunham or yourself writing from a perspective that's loosely based on yourself, did you find in the writing process that you learned something about yourself? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I realized that I have this sort of vagueness about myself that mm. I cannot stand. And I saw that translated into um, the character on paper. Um, her name is Sunday, just so I don't have to keep saying the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> with Sunday, just because I was writing based on the events that had happened, um, I was able to exploit more of the other person Mm -hmm. which I feel like is this weird victim complex that I often grapple with Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I made the other people seem worse even though they are bad I just like would rather highlight what's wrong with them than to like highlight what's wrong with me but seeing like less of Sunday's reactions to things I think um, address, I don't know, this weird, like, indirectness that I grapple with. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's sick, though. It's, like, it's almost, like, minor therapy by, like, pursuing your craft. You're, like, learning things or, like, yeah. addressing things within yourself. I fuck with that. It's so sick. <laughs> yeah, my, my scripts were, I mean, as you know, because you read them, were animated-based, um, and... But I was writing about, you know, characters. One of the my original scripts had people that, you know, like I grew up with in it. And so trying to write from their perspective did make me kind of address some things in myself. Because, like, for example, one of the characters is gender fluid. So grappling with the pronouns, I never, yeah. you know, I never have to grapple with pronouns because I kind of just grew up within being he, him. I didn't have to deal with, like, finding myself in my pronoun you know so that was a cool and there was definitely something to writing that is like deeply introspective whether or not it's meaning to be you know writing something like comedy you wouldn't expect it but no it's it's really cool like how deep it can be um and on the topic of us doing that writing is there anything else that you have in the works that um people should keep an eye on or that you're excited Um. about I'm like, it's it's hard to speak on this just because I don't know, like, when or what what it's going to take to inspire me to actually do it, but I've been really keen for, like, the past three years on um, doing a podcast with um, my friend Ashley, who's my roommate and friend of 10 years. Um, we both kind of had similar upbringings. She's from Minneapolis, um, and I'm from Washington, D.C., and she 
and I both loved emo music and had huge, um, you know, we were like straightening our hair mm. and giving ourselves bangs and stuff, like doing all this quote unquote white shit from the jump, <laughs> like, but just like we both like had to deal with like being bullied and stuff, um, or feeling like less, less about who we are because of the culture we were consuming, um, just because it's hard to... You know, when you are consuming so much whiteness, <laughs> like, it's it's weird to consume a culture that um, doesn't grant any space for you, especially back then, mm-hmm. um, in, like, the early 2000s. Um, and it was really, it was, like, on TV and stuff, on, like, MTV, like, shows were so racist, yeah. homophobic, mm-hmm. it's insane to watch now. Um, but just really growing up in that time period, but we wanted to, we wanted to basically create a, a community where, like, the black weirdos like us can all just remember the times and how awkward it was for that, but a music-driven podcast awesome. about emo times. I love that. That is, I can't wait for that podcast. And I love the transition. You just, you just. Gave me that on a silver platter. So one of the things that I find incredibly interesting about you and I think informs your comedy, or maybe it doesn't even inform it, but I, I think it just adds to your aesthetic, is you're an avid fan and um, indulge in the arts of the juggalo. <laughs> and is, is that something that you'd be willing to speak on a little bit? Um, yeah, I wouldn't even say that I'm a fan. Like I literally can't quote one um, insane clown posse song to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like to refer to myself as a juggalo spy. Cool. Anytime there's a juggalo event and it's in the same city as me mm. and I can go, um, <laughs> I go and I don't go dress like me. I just dress up as a juggalo. People mm. are always like, what's her name? And I'm like, it's, it's still me. <laughs> still Kristen. I'm just painted. Um, but the very first time I went to a Juggalo concert, um, I, I was working at a pizza shop in New Orleans and, um, my boss at the time, Rand, rest in peace, um, he, he would always like let us smoke in the walk-in and stuff, Mm -hmm. um. But I was just like, yo, Ren, I was like, Insane Clown Posse is coming to town. What if we close the shop? You know, and we all go to the concert. And he was just like, I can't pay for everybody's ticket, but I will rent us a party bus with a keg on it. Huge. <laughs> what a good boss. So we closed the shop. Damn. He rented a bus with a keg on it. The fucking bus drivers were smoking blunts. It was incredibly unsafe. One of my friends, Ben, broke his ankle because the bus stopped short at one point. Oh. And, like, we all flew, but he Damn. just flew wrong. And he literally broke his ankle. And he was on it all night. But later that night at the actual show, they, like, um, ICP was like, oh, the Juggalettes on stage. So, like, me and my friends got to get on the stage. All my makeup got sprayed off with the Fago, the Diet Fago. Diet Honestly, Fago. boring flavor. Health to conscious. What a boring flavor to be sprayed with um but then the year after in 2017 i moved home to dc and it was the march of the juggalos okay 
and the Juggalos were marching because they got put on um, the FBI watch list as a gang. So if you have, um, ICP runs Hatchet Man Records, it's like the little guy with the hatchet. Okay. If you have like that as a tattoo and you get arrested or pulled over for like a DUI or something, you get more time because of the gang affiliation. Mm -hmm. But they're not a gang. Yeah. So that's what they were marching for. Um, that's insane. Yeah, but <laughs> there, this guy interviewed me that was working for Bustle Magazine. Okay. Um, and he was just like, hey, like, I noticed that you were a uh, juggalette of color. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to speak on that? And instead of being just like, hey, man, like, you know, just here hanging out. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, like, what do you want to know? <laughs> Um, and then he was just like, do you feel, like, accepted by the community? And I was just like, man, when I go to, like, I've been, like, to this show, like, I've been to the gathering, like, I've been here and there, like, it's not about color, it's about family. Like, I'm just started spewing anything, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, like they, use, they ended up using a quote from me as, like, the big, uh, the pool quote, like, in the middle yeah. of the article, the Amazing. huge thing. So that's kind of like my personal um, legacy, but I don't know. I've done stand-up um, in Juggalo face paint. I've done karaoke in Juggalo face paint. It's just funny, like, I don't know. There's something, I feel like there's something definitely weird about actually dressing up as a regular clown and being serious about um, clowning in that way. I don't know. There's something definitely scary about that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the Juggalos are just like so... Like, like fake scary and real scary at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think it, it, I think painting your face as a juggalo um, invokes a more visceral reaction than just like a creepy it style clown. Yeah. It's just like something so American about it. Yeah. On that note, well, you, you went to an all clown viewing of it dressed as a juggalo, yes. right? How was, what was that like? Um... It was really funny because it was um, at the Alamo Draft House downtown, mm -hmm. and all of the like the director and some of the cast members came out. Like not the nice. super famous cast members, but it was just like a nice little LA surprise. Mm -hmm. I love Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but I feel like um, I was just happy to be seen in the front row by the <laughs> by important people that right. do that film no, that's so sick. in Chegolo face paint but I didn't get any extra attention but after we left that I did go to karaoke and sing um, Escape by Enrique Iglesias and in, Chegolo in face paint so amazing that was fun do you think that the karaoke has anything to do with like practicing performing or is it just something that you like as a yeah passion? i mean i just love being a ham on stage i love um damaging my legs by jumping into splits during karaoke i just love um the art of showboating nice <laughs> so i don't know i feel like the things that I do will get better and um, sillier as I grow more comfortable in my skin. Mm -hmm. um, but until then, this is <laughs> like, I feel like I give people just little tastes here and there of what I can do. Nice.
Do you think that we should view Kristen Wallace as a comedian? Or do you think that it's it's wide, like the scope is, is larger than that? Um, I think the scope of, um, of the title comedian is wide enough to um, define me. I feel cool. like um, um, the sex industry has um, staked claims on the word entertainer. Mm. Uh, if I call myself an entertainer, I just imagine my head on like a Chippendales guy's body, you know? <laughs> Kristen the Entertainer, you know? <laughs> I said, yeah, I think comedian is good. And no need to, like, gender the word either. Like, yeah. comedian. Yeah. I'm definitely not a comedian. Right. I'm a comedian. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I love how you, the, the way we view the word is so different. Like, I struggle myself with calling myself a comedian or an artist just because, like, I'm still in the, like the gym phase like I'm at the dojo I still have to beat the gym leaders well, yeah I mean but, it is, but I feel like level one is or not even level one I feel like level three is calling yourself a comedian yeah. but oh, comedians yeah. write comedians act mm-hmm. um, comedians act drama mm-hmm. comedians host game shows which right. I ultimately want to do um, I don't know comedians um they can be very healing figures, mm-hmm. and they can also be destructive with that power. Definitely. Ellen. <laughs> it's crazy what's happening to her right now. I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's hard to to believe, but with an industry like Hollywood, as much as I want to be a part of it, you know, it has a, it has a legacy of um, some pretty skewed power dynamics. So it's, you know, I feel like she's a product of this. I definitely, sure. like, would never want an Ellen amount of fame. Right. Um, yeah. She's... My biggest Hollywood crush and kind of fame idol is mm-hmm. um, Alia Shawkat from Arrested Development and tons of my favorite movies in Search Party, my favorite show. What character is she in Arrested Development? Um, maybe. Oh, bet. I thought yes. that's who you are talking about. I love her. <laughs> She's a legend. She was just like had like she was a child actor that just like got all the right rules and mm-hmm. it's just I feel like she's a very um, elegant and mysterious human being, but to a certain degree, mm-hmm. she also feels like pretty like accessible and down to earth, which is probably like does probably suck when she's around super fans. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I hope if we ever meet, I don't scare her. I love that. But I do use her name for a few passwords. Nice. <laughs> if anyone's trying to hack Kristen, you have the tools. Um, so I think there was a time where we were talking about comedy and stand-up, and you told me that you don't watch com- comedians, like big comedians. Yeah. What's your? Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. A little bit? Well, I guess I just. Don't really like being influenced in other like in any way mm. with like anything really. Um, <laughs> but I I do learn that that hurts me sometimes. With I did with the Amanda Seals joke about um, having a white national anthem, which is a very I'm sure that she and I are not even the only people that ever wrote jokes about that. Right, it's just all about. In her joke, she says that um, the anthem would be, um, Hold on for one more day by Wilson Phillips. But I think that's very specific to white women. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in my version of the joke, I say that it's the remedy by Jason Mraz, you know, mm-hmm. I, I will worry my life away. I feel like that's like, that song is so much more accessible to the Caucasian people. Such a good rendition of it too. <laughs> Just serenaded me a little bit. I was trying to remember what are those Venetian boats where the dudes like paddling. The gondola? Yeah, I felt like I was on the gondola <laughs> paddling uh, through the canal. If you got the poison, I've got the remedy, the remedy. It's so mysterious. <laughs> it is a dangerous liaison. I said the comedy. I said it's serious. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Okay. I said the tragedy is how you're gonna spend the rest of your life with the light songs shine the light on all of your friends. Cause it all amounts to nothing in the end. I won't worry my life away. Hey, oh. <laughs> Any A&R is listening to this, you can email me for her contact info. We can get a deal set up. I just want like 30%. I like, like want to learn how to play guitar just to like, just like prank people with songs yeah. like that. Like they'll probably think I'm about to sing like Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. <laughs> there is a, there is something so inherently like the fusion of music and humor are like I don't know if you've ever watched Zach Galifianakis has a comedy show called Live at the Purple Onion. I have not seen it. It's not like, it's not the funniest stand-up I've ever seen. But the comedy, he plays the piano and like lines up his jokes and like pauses and takes breaks, but adds this kind of like jazz lounge piano riff with it. <laughs> oh my god, that shit is funny. But um, let me. I've, I'm fucking so bad with tangents. You were speaking on. What were we speaking on? Um, I'm so bad at this. Was it? <laughs> now you're really good at it. <laughs> um, was it right? Um, jokes and other comedians. Me not. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So you don't get your inspiration from other comedians, but where do you go for your inspiration for comedy? Um, or what are some of the places? Obviously, there's probably a bunch. Yeah, I like to be disappointed by... Um, like Tinder and Hinge dates. I like to be disappointed um, in my workplace. I like um, to be disappointed um, by Caucasians. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just go different places and I get disappointed yeah. and then I write about it. <laughs> Disappointment sounds like the cornerstone of your yeah. It's real though. I get disappointed in myself. All these things. I, I, I take all that disappointment and shame and or places where there's not shame from the other side. I create shame for them in my art. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I love that. It's so relatable. Like I, I made a video the other day, I think you saw where I was basically like if you're if your inner circle or your friends aren't supporting you, like fuck them. Yeah. Go go find friends who do support you. <laughs> but that's like it took a lot of, I mean, you can hear that it's pulling from a personal experience. Like, it comes from disappointment in many ways for you to, like, 
I was talking about this with someone else. One of my other guests on the show, shout out to Fifth God, he recommended this like mythology podcast to me. Yeah. And the, it's so sick. I'll send it to you after this. But like the host, <laughs> the host of it talks about like this this concept of knowledge being dark wisdom, and the difference between olderhood and elderhood is elderhood comes from. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Like I don't say it as eloquently, but it comes from like the dark and the sadness and like the disappointment and just like the sorrow of life is where true knowledge comes from. And you can't become an elder until you've like face that fear or that you know that that darkness as he puts it head on and learn from it and then you come out the other side and now you can impart wisdom on other people of how to deal with it themselves so it's funny that like being a comedian you're taking this disappointment you have in all these ways and making it humorous and i'm sure like you just saying it so it obviously has effect like people are going to hear that and like laugh but then unpack you know and yeah. be able to laugh it off because sometimes yo, like the way that you can turn it into a joke some people would like it's like a barrier or like a blockade where it like they can't get past it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. My mom laughed at one of, um, I would say, my most fucked up joke um, where I talk about if I was born, you know, um, in the 40s or something, mm-hmm. I would have had like a really hard time when um, hot Caucasian firemen were spraying. <laughs> black people down during protests because I would just start singing like pour some sugar on me and get like real sexy and wet and shit. Um, you are ridiculous. <laughs> that's fucking hysterical though. But I say shit like that. Yeah. No, but that's the thing. Like if you can, this is the thing about comedy and if you can make horrible situations funny, but you have to come at it with like understanding and like well yeah i feel like there's a certain i approach like jokes like that with a certain amount of shame because i've um only really dated white men my entire life Mm -hmm. sorry caucasian men sorry will i didn't mean to do you like the color or do you like the I don't mean, you never have to worry about turning off the I know, I was just checking. People are like, what word do you prefer? No, I'm... Black or African-American? Trump said that. He's like, they they like black. They like to be called black. You wouldn't feel comfortable speaking for... I I never asked somebody, um, a white person out loud what they prefer, so it just seemed like an opportune time to... My entire body froze. What do you prefer? (laughs) No. They're what both white. I honestly, I am both white and Caucasian. You know? <laughs> they both describe me well enough. Is there like, is there another word that you would like, you know, like is there a nicer word? Will. <laughs> <laughs> Call me by my name. No, I honestly like, you know, um, I, I think it's the same reason that, like, there is no real, like, racist term for white people. It's, like, when you're in the power system and you're the one who controls the power, it's, like, yeah. these words don't hold power over you. You're well, not no, we just, like, we, I'm like, we have, like, cracker. Is that, like, the best I could used to, it's, the thing is, it's, like, <laughs> people who get super offended by that, I'm, like, oh, like, it's, or, like. Or, oh, in the musical, um, Hairspray, they have the word, um. Or no, is it in hairspray? Hairspray or I did ragtime in tenth grade, which mm. we shouldn't have done at my predominantly white high school. <laughs> Fucking ragtime. I'm like I have a story about that too, but 
Um, they had the word pepperwood. This is, my, my thoughts on this is like if you if you're a white or a Caucasian person, <laughs> if you're if you're getting caught up on like words that offend you, like you you completely are missing the point of like yeah. life. Like we need to fix problems. We shouldn't be. But at the same ours. time, like I wish that there was an offensive word. I agree. I think racist really has It does bother people, it yeah. Does. But I think that's because people are unwilling to address the fact that like they are without meaning to be, they are inherently racist. Like yeah. if you're not addressing these issues or working towards solving them, like you're an oppressor. Like Desmond Tutu said, like those who are silent or neutral in the face of oppression are oppressors. Yeah. Something that I kind of like lightly wrote about in um, my pilot was about um, people assuming that I want something from them just because I'm black (laughs) but at the same like I grapple with people assuming that and also me wanting things from them Mm -hmm. because if things do make my life easier or make my life more fun Mm -hmm. why not but at the same time I don't want to be viewed as a charity case yeah but but um, you know, like a white person in a similar position wouldn't even have to feel that way. No, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's kind of what I was saying as well, like to further your point, like I don't have to, like you were talking about black and African American, I never have to ask myself, like how do I, you know what I mean? Do <laughs> I want to be white or Caucasian? Like, and these I mean, are, now yeah. it depends whose mouth it's coming out. No, of, real like, shit though. Someone who's like black people. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. No, it's true. And it's it's like um, how people use the word Jew. Like it can describe yeah. what someone's beliefs are or it can be used as like a vitriol like exactly. Jew. It's like, geez, oh man. It's, like, it's hate in your mouth. Like Jesus, just call me Caucasian. Like, <laughs> people are wild. It's, it's really wild. It's a wild time right now. Um... I hope that you're doing well with Corona and everything. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like somebody that has taken um, antidepressants in the past, Mm -hmm. and I currently do not, Mm -hmm. um, I think I definitely, like, self-medicate with, like, eating, drinking, and alcohol, but I've been very self-aware, maybe not the entire quarantine, but definitely now that we're in whatever round this is of however many rounds they're going to be. Yeah, seriously. It's like a 12-round fight. I feel like I'm doing, like, I kind of have embraced the pandemic with open arms. (laughs) And just because people are, so many people are like, when are we going to get back to normal? When are we going to get back to normal? And it's just like, you know, there is no um, set date on that. Mm -hmm. And there will never, we will never be back to the way that it was in any capacity. I agree. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, and honestly, I think that the government should be really, really afraid when the pandemic's over and we can really confidently hit the streets. Because I, um, I, I didn't go to any protests just because I have been uncomfortable with being around a large group of people. I went to a large... Um, gathering um to lamar park i think Mm -hmm. that's how it's pronounced lamar i don't know i don't want to mispronounce it but i went to lp um on juneteenth and um while it was really powerful and fun to be around um that many black people 
Um, I was also fucking scared. Right, well, it's scary. <laughs> I agree. But luckily I didn't catch it. There were a lot of people without masks. Mm -hmm. They were wearing a nice sprinkle of the Caucasians at Mm -hmm. that event. And a lot of them were not wearing masks. And I'm like, how can you say Black Lives Matter and not wear a mask? I agree. Yeah, no, it's like these All Lives Matter people, they like don't give a fuck about anybody until it's like a counter to Black Lives Matter. It's ridiculous. No, and that's, and to your point, like that's why I, I don't really necessarily see like us returning returning to normal, I see as a bad thing because normal before this is like lack of affordable health care and lack of housing and yeah. racism and sexism and all these like societal structures of oppression. I like to see that like because we're all stuck at home and with our thoughts and like with our families and stuff, it's a, we can all think a lot right now and, and kind of it, you can see it with people protesting more than ever is like we're fed up like the system is fucked. Yeah. I want to see it change. Um... I honestly don't think that Trump will be living in four years. Mm -hmm. I think he is probably so confused and stressed out. I mean, clearly he's a sociopath, but um, I think that everybody has a cracking point, even if you're the president. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he's been acting like a king, and we know kings go crazy real fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but the thought of him still being president when I'm 32 is really dark. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm holding... like, ill. Yeah. Like, years wasted. I know. Truly, these last four years, like, boy, if I didn't have comedy, I would be really fucking depressed. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Like, the podcasts and, and working on those scripts have really kept me sta- stable and sane, because... I mean, like, what is happening right yeah, now? Yeah, I don't know who also needs to hear this, but writing was, like, so validating for me. Um, just because I don't have a college degree, so I feel like in the society I'm not deserving of lots of opportunities. So it was really important for me to finish this and to do a good job at it, even though I definitely procrastinated fucking hard. Mm-hmm. I, I got it done. We yeah, got it done. Um, and it was it was such a validating experience. And also just like now we created foundations to, um, you know, write a second episode or we've eliminated the fear of writing a pilot in the first place. Mm-hmm. So now we can write five more pilots um, and we, we know what it takes mm-hmm. um, and we know about <laughs> honoring deadlines yeah, and yeah. it was just like yeah. oh cool i haven't had to do anything like this in a few years and it felt good to do it on my own accord without mm-hmm. a grade um looming over my head so true. and the only grade being self-validation yeah because yeah. i knew if i did not get it done on time i would have felt like a piece of shit yeah no same. a big big piece of shit especially since i had started like yeah the stress is real yeah and i'm glad that you touched on that because i feel like and myself included like a big problem for me is is just starting or like having the confidence to be like i can do this and and completing that project especially in a time like right now was incredible like so necessary and so i'm glad you say that like to any artist of any nature listening like do your shit like just do it even if you don't love it just finish it because it's like 
Man, I should. I was you saw. I was so drained by the end of it, but yeah. it, was, it felt so good to just be like, "Damn, we did it." Also, get opinions from real friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good. I point. had a lot of people read my script, and <laughs> it was interesting. Two people that read it were upset that I killed a character who says some pretty like low-key racist shit to the main character and it's so weird that these people wanted him to live <laughs> they were like that character made me laugh and it's just like well yeah he's there to make you laugh but you're also laughing at the fact that he's a, a fucking piece of shit right. <laughs> like, yeah no I'm never, so i don't yeah. know it, having people read your material i think mm. um reveals things about you and it reveals things about other people when you're getting feedback from them um, and it's just important to have a, a wide um, network of people to give you feedback about anything that's a good point. not feedback from like fucking strangers after you're at an open mic that shit is just like don't give me feedback on yeah but any anything else yeah no that's that's a it's a really great point and like it, it's cool too because, and we, we spoke about this, but um, I heard there's a podcast by, and we'll speak on this too, we both attended UCB sketch writing together. That's kind of yes. how we started blending our writing skills and thoughts. <laughs> it, Kristen got to see my, my naming of characters firsthand. <laughs> that was joy. a, I think committing to a class after having such a negative experience in my education mm -hmm. um ever since i entered like more predominantly white classrooms um so basically since the fifth grade or the sixth grade uh, <laughs> it was interesting attending a class that wasn't in an actual school structure right but was introducing us um to tools to make our craft more legitimate and um you know capitalist society but make yeah. money off of our legitimate craft yeah and and to that to the capitalist nature of things um what is it like having to grapple with pursuing a dream that you you want to do creatively and then profiting off it has it ever been an issue to you or is it um kind of just like a necessity i mean it's obviously a necessity you gotta eat <laughs> It is truly a necessity. I've, I feel like I've been lucky with <laughs> kind of like the energy that I exude to other people. I mm -hmm. think that I have a pretty magneto, ma <laughs> magneto. <laughs> I have a really magnetic energy, um, and. I think that I attract good people that kind of boost me up. And mm -hmm. sometimes um, having praise can give me the same satisfaction, the same feeling in my body that I get when I see that fat unemployment check deposit. <laughs> like, I know that... <laughs> I know that positivity doesn't put food on the table, but being cheered by um, opinions that matter make me feel more positive. Therefore, I think that I'm attracting more positive opportunities 
um, to myself. And awesome. I think that it happens little by little. And you really do have to, it takes time to recognize when certain things are happening, but you'll look back and be like, oh, that was, that boosted me to make this certain step. I don't know. I fucking, I moved to LA and I was just like, you know. I'm gonna go for it. Yeah. I was like, okay, so I literally threw like a comedy event three days before I moved to DC. I mean, before I moved from DC to LA. Mm. Um, and people were like, oh, this is like going really good. Why don't you stay here and like, you know, become a success here and somebody will recognize that and then bring you out there. Right. <clears throat> Sorry. And I was just like, no. <laughs> right. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even want to fucking live here. Yeah. And also, every, like, I'm not going to say everybody in the DC comedy scene is an asshole, but... The people of power in the DC comedy scene are um, fucking assholes, mm-hmm. um, and shame. they do not. Yes, shame on you. Um, DC is a place of opportunity for a select people that are willing to wear the cardigan. I should say now. Mm. <laughs> I love that. But you know, I'm not willing to wear the cardigan. Mm. I'm willing to wear. Um, the leather jacket. <laughs> I'm not putting on the, the card again. I hear that. that. No, I love that too. I think it was Jim Carrey who he had a great point about like, um, you have two choices kind of. One is you can put on like a, a, a face or like be a character or like put the cardigan on, but like you have to bury yourself in that cardigan, you know, like you, yeah. have, you can't ever like be yourself. And the other path is like risk it on exposing who you are to the world and being like, accept me, <laughs> like, love me. <laughs> but I, I really feel, and I, I think we both chose that path where it's like, we're willing to risk it because it's like, fuck it. We're pretty dope. <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck with us. I mean, like, I haven't had a lot of money my entire life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, <laughs> like, struggling is nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be nice not to, though. Yeah, but I think that I think that struggle is just a part of life that you it end is. up having to accept one way or mm-hmm. another. Pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. That's what they say. Well, listen, <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm so grateful for you taking time in your day and, well, and speaking with me. the pleasure is mine. You're a legend. <laughs> I also like so excited to see where you go. And, and that's part of why I wanted to bring you on. Is like I want to bring people on here that I feel like the audience can benefit from, you know? And yeah. I feel like there are going to be people who resonate with what you're saying. And like, I, I'm going to take so much away with this. So thank you. But I always want to leave people space. Is there anything that you want to, like some wisdom from your time on earth that you want to impart to whoever might need it? Um, I just want to say like, you know, I may have done some stupid or shitty things in the past, but Um, I think the hardest part of life is forgiving yourself before other people, um, have to forgive you. And I think that recognizing those things and, um, I'm just high at this point. (laughs) No, no, I was going to say my, my only intention is to make people happy and you have to be able to separate 
making people happy from giving people pleasure. Damn. Because happiness and pleasure don't always intertwine. Mm. And you shouldn't ever do anything with the intention of pleasing another person, but you should always lead with the intention of making somebody else happy and having a positive interaction with whatever you're doing and wherever you're going. Just be fucking positive, you piece of shit. Love it. <laughs> that is the most amazing send-off ever in my life. That was Kristen Wallace. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs>